But so what I'm trying to do in the long term is kind of bridge what we're doing in BMC with a medical device engineering aspect, the same way that BMC is already bridging what the computer graphics industry is doing for entertainment. And then we bridge that into medical applications. Welcome back to the Medical Illustration Podcast. Today, I'd like to share my first interview. I need to mention this was recorded back in May of 2020, so some of what we talk about may be a little dated. I also apologize if the audio quality is not quite up to par just yet. This may be a little different than what you'd expect given that my guest is involved mostly with industrial design and medical device manufacturing, as opposed to traditional medical illustration. But I thought he would be the perfect first guest for several reasons. The first is that Bobby and I are good friends, and we have pretty natural flow to our conversation. We've known each other through the Biomedical Communications Program at the University of Toronto Mississauga, or BMC, and we both love to geek out on software. We talk about several software tools and tricks in this episode, which I think can be helpful to people to hear about. I also think the fact that Bobby has veered off into a unique direction with his biomedical communications training illustrates beautifully how our skill set can be applied in emerging markets. He is a mechanical design engineer at Cosm Medical based in Toronto. Please enjoy this conversation with Robert Lansfield. So I have been going hardcore on the uh, like the online tutorials. Well, definitely, I want to talk about that a bit with you because I know um, like you took that Learn Squared course for yeah. the industrial designs, right? And yeah. uh, after you told me you had gone through the whole thing and you really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it, I had to check it out. So, you know, I went through it as well. And yeah, I definitely, I was digging it, man. And the course offerings on that site are great. Have you gone back there at all recently on the LearnSquared? Yeah, I was back on there um, looking at the hard surface modeling course. Nice. So, yeah, it's like a pretty quick way to, to make things in Fusion. So that's actually, that's been helpful at work too. Yeah. Nice. What have you been working on? I've been trying to sample as many as I can thing. They, they made this, this offer where they're like, all right, we're going to make the first lesson. Like the first portion of each course is free. So you can watch basically like two or three hours worth of their, their course content of each, each course for free. And right. uh, so I'm just looking at every single one that appeals to me. I'm just, I'm going to watch the first part of like every single one. So I've just been going gangbusters on it, man. I've, I've seriously, I've gone through like five, five or six courses, the concept art hacks, the uh, cinema 4D animation workflow and the uh, like par X particle workflow. And then there's, uh, there's one I'm looking at now that's for cinematic concept design. So it's a lot about, you know, composing good photos and stuff, which by the way, in preparation for this podcast, I had to check out your social media and stuff. And I didn't realize, dude, your Instagram, like your photos on your Instagram profile are awesome man they're really good thanks i uh i haven't done any in a while because i kind of quit instagram but for a while there i was trying to do like the daily photo challenge because I, oh, okay. I needed to work on composition and it was uh it was good practice definitely yeah uh, you just like have totally abandoned the platform yeah totally yeah. because it, it was just way too addictive the app was mm. too addictive so i had to stop that's really all it was. So I'm like missing everybody else's art on there. But like I still, I still go on. Like I treat it like um, just like a website now. Like go on to one artist's page, mm -hmm. check out their art, and then I'm off. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I still go on to check out individual artist stuff and like a lot of concept art. But uh, yeah, it was good practice though. I think I got the idea from 
uh, Nick from Grayscale Gorilla said that that's mm. how he started out, daily photos, and it just forces you to come up with new topics and forces you to learn composition pretty quickly. And nice, yeah, exactly yeah. how it works. There are a couple of things on there that I want to make in 3D now. They're like these really neon, really intense, like neon noir kind of shots. They were actually photos oh, okay. yeah, from underneath a billboard and then just blew out the lights in neon. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I want to make those in, uh, in Fusion. Oh, have you played around with like the rendering features in Fusion? Yeah, yeah, I've been using those and then I'm going to switch over to Keyshot pretty soon. Nice. But uh, yeah, you could do renders in Fusion. And then um, you can also, I don't think many people try to do this, but you can set up the scene like a C4D scene. Like if you want to make your own studio light and have things that are emitting light around your around your model, you can do that. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. The environment, yeah. Oh, I didn't know you could make objects with like, a, yeah, like a luminance channel kind of a thing. Yeah. In Fusion. Oh, that's yeah. dope. That's really dope. Yeah, I saw some cool ones recently because uh, at work we're residents at Autodesk. Mm -hmm. So um, one of their Fusion Evangelist guys, Paul Sohi, showed us this scene that he made with uh, like an engineered part in the middle. I think it was a, a part of a bike or a motorcycle. It looks mm -hmm. really crazy, has neon lights on it. We're all wondering, like, that's not, like there are no built-in neon scenes, right? And then he mm -hmm. zoomed out and it's just like a, scene in C4D where he made seamless backgrounds around it. Oh, okay. And had those emit light at the, at the part. Oh, nice. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah, I, lo I love playing with those kinds of 3D rendering, like hacks, where like, you figure out these little tricks to do with the lighting options and stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good renderer. Like, if you want to quickly make something without exporting your stuff, it works pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, like, not quite the quality you could get to in Keyshot, but definitely you can get some impressive product renders through there, through Fusion too. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's a really good combination, like Fusion and Keyshot, because Fusion, if I recall correctly, didn't you send me a link or a P I think it was a link actually for one of the iterations of the CAD project we were working on together where it was basically like a, a 3D model viewer yeah like, yeah and i could like rotate around yeah yeah like that's awesome that fusion has that capability because yeah, that's fusion teams right fusion yeah teams. yeah because that's something like you kind of have to use a, a third-party application for if you're just building your models in like cinema or maya i would think right yeah yeah do you use anything like that at work to pass assets around and track them and stuff like that you know, we should. We, so we use this service called Collaborate with a K, but that is mainly for video review. And that's been working out really nice because what's cool about that is you have a page where you can play the video and then there's like a little comment stream on the side. So, you know, you enter your name and as the video is going at any point in time, you just go and you enter a comment. And as soon as you start typing, it will automatically stop the video and then it will, it will tag a timestamp of your comments to the video. So you know exactly when the person was talking about what, what change they want to make. But then they also have this feature where you can get a little pen and you can go and you can draw on the video as you're oh, amazing. That yeah. right there is, is key. Uh, Cause a lot of times for surgeons, you know, you know, they're not going to do any crazy drawing or anything on the video, but it's just an arrow. We just need them to put that little mark or that, that star or whatever 
And that right there saves a ton of time just being able for them to say, look, right here, this move this or this shouldn't be here or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that must be a major help to the process. Yeah. Because otherwise people have to describe like, oh, like when uh, like at this part of the video or partway through this thing moved, but I needed it to move differently. That'd be that'd be so hard to uh, to work through the process with somebody who's not in animation as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it would be great to have a similar kind of thing for 3D model review to be able to like basically just commenting, you know, being able to comment and, and draw and stuff or whatever on like a model. One thing I've been looking at is, and I know we've talked about this before, you were just mentioning Keyshot. The other one that I'm aware of is that Marmoset tool bag. And oh, yeah. I really want to check that out. I think I might even just buy it because it's only like 200 bucks. But they, that's one of the features of that software is you can export a little web embeddable 3D model viewer. So basically what Sketchfab offers, you can do the same thing with uh, Marmoset. You can just export it to like a file that you can embed on a web page and it's just a 3D model viewer. A bunch of people have that on ArtStation, like the you know character artists and stuff, they'll put their models on there. Oh, okay. And then anybody can view it through ArtStation? Mm-hmm, yep. Oh, amazing. Yeah. The way their site is structures is basically like you can build your own personal web page the same way you would with like Squarespace or, you know, WordPress or whatever, but it's all within their site, which is already a site that is meant for promoting artists, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking about it. I'm already kind of like designing it and like kind of trying to gather all my assets. That's where I'm, I'm kind of getting stuck is because I've got all my portfolio pieces but all of them, I'm like, ooh, before I post this, I should tweak this. You know, or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's like all these little fixes I want to do on like everything. And then I'll have two images that are solid. But then I'm like, ooh, for that Instagram spread, I need that third <laughs> image so they line up properly. You know what I mean? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then once you put it on ArtStation, you want to be able to be able to scroll through the whole progression too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem like. It, it does seem like a pretty good way to go for a portfolio site too, right? Because if you pay for a year of web hosting on some other platform, that's another Learn Squared course you could have got exactly. or, or a different plugin or something. It, well, I guess it depends on what you want to do with your site, you know, and like yeah. what, you're, what you're trying to get out of it. I think for some people, it definitely makes sense to have their own website where they have like their own content just held right there. I would want to have like a page on my website where all my podcast episodes are in there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely want the site and then you'd want the merch page and everything. Got to have the merch page for sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, you know, to be honest, yeah, this whole podcast idea, I still am not sure exactly how to execute it or what to do with it. I just know I, there's so many, basically, you know, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan and Ash Thorpe's like collective podcast. And I just want to basically do what they do, but talk to the people I know and who I think are worthwhile to have their voices heard and like get their work promoted and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think it's the perfect time to do it as well. Mm -hmm. It is a good time. Yeah. How has uh, the work adjustments been for you? Are you guys all work from home basis? Yeah, we're all work from home. It's been pretty good, actually. Like I think I think we've had it pretty good. And since we're a small company at Cosm, everything was already set up for working remotely anyways. And like, Oh, really? Yeah, like a couple of our, because a couple of our team members work out of the Robarts Institute in London, Ontario, um, like every, every couple of weeks, they'll drive down there to run some tests. 
okay. uh, like measurement tests and things. And then a couple of us will be over at Autodesk. So we're all always going between the office on Dundas and other locations. So now we just switched over to mostly doing CAD modeling and simulation. Okay. Yeah. So like all the files were online. We just continued on like that. Yeah. Like we can't postpone too much of the manufacturing and measurement stuff too long because we have we have clinical trials coming up later in the year. So we still have to hit those deadlines. But for now, yeah, we've it's been pretty good for us, I think. Yeah. What about you with uh, like rendering capacity and and all those? Yeah, you know what? It's actually it's been working out okay. Just you know, just fine so far. We had a render PC. Albert had built a PC that was just for like our render farm, but we also had some other software on that that could only be run on like a PC because we're all using Mac otherwise. So for like for example, uh, a lot of the photogrammetry stuff we just had on that because I use 3D Flow Zephyr, which is PC only. But yeah, we can still log in remotely to those machines and set a render queue through Cinema and have all the machines rendering together on team render. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, generally, uh, yeah, our workflow is, has actually been fine. We transitioned pretty smoothly to a work at home kind of thing. To be honest, it's been way more efficient than I would have thought. Like it's actually been, it's worked out just fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good reminder for a lot of teams that they can do some of this uh, like remote login and keep the render, like keep rendering our computing process going remotely so, mm-hmm. uh, what about access to surgeons for feedback has that been all right or are they just really you know swamped now? you know what it's kind of a mixed bag it depends on the surgeons but i think for the most part i, I think most of them have had sort of a restricted operating schedule because i think that the hospitals are trying to kind of cut back on any surgeries that just aren't absolutely necessary because every surgery is a risk for infection and you know, they, they're just in general, they're just trying to like restrict any kind of points of contact or whatever within the hospital. And man, they're like, they're totally locked down. I mean, it, it was a little spooky and dystopian at first, but I mean, at the same time, I have to say like mad respect. And, and I also am happy to see that they did respond the way that they did. So yeah, yeah they're, they're taking it on like super serious, man. Like they're, they basically locked down the whole building like right away, but you want to see them do that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, there'd still be a lot of people in the hospital who get the same kind of conditions as, like, all other times of the year oh, when yeah. it wasn't a pandemic, yeah. Definitely, man. Yeah. 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 Canada, man, they, Canada's, like, done a fantastic job. I think Canada learned their lessons really well from uh, SARS, you know. Yeah, that's right. It was interesting at the start, too, like, a couple of the BMC profs had, had mentioned some things about just the information coming out of about uh, COVID or upcoming events. Are we going to put these, make these virtual? And it's, it was interesting to see that because they had clearly dealt with living in Toronto during SARS. So mm-hmm. uh, it's probably like the experience was fresher in their memories. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, man. Speaking of things I've been hearing about a uh, blender and the stuff I've, I've seen uh, people who are like hardcore blender, users especially on like reddit the blender channel on reddit i have to say man as, as compared to like the other 3d subreddits like the blender people are so strong in their community and supporting one another and like uh, sharing tutorials and posting good work and stuff and the renders are right up there with anything out of any other software 
Oh, amazing. And there are some really impressive studios using it too, right? Mm. I don't know about what I've seen elsewhere. It would be good if we get into it more. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you used it at all? Just really briefly when I worked at SickKids. At the time, I was using it for 3D sculpting. Like if I wanted to add a nose to oh, our nice. eye, uh, eye exam simulator, just sculpt it, 3D print the mold. Um, I think the summer after me, Mel used it probably for a little bit more 3D modeling, maybe some 3D animation stuff on okay. the same project. Uh, yeah, that would be good. I've been thinking a lot about that, like software that's either free or you pay for it once and then also has a good support community as well. Like mm -hmm. Fusion's really good for that too. Oh man, yeah, if you have some good uh, resources for like tutorials on learning like certain things in Fusion, please let me know because like some of the stuff I found, it was a little hit or miss in that you kind of had to have some CAD or engineering background to kind of understand the language they were using. So okay. like for me, I did take a CAD course way back in like high school or something like, a, yeah, just fundamentals of mechanical drawing and that kind of thing. But it's yeah. been so long that uh, I've kind of forgotten all those terms and stuff. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations? Um, there was one really good one that I watched recently. It's like a full hour workshop that I think happened at Autodesk's conference. Oh, okay. Um, like what were they covering? They were covering direct modeling in Fusion. And that okay. might be really something you'll be really interested in too because you know when you jump into Fusion, mm -hmm. every time you make every time you do something, it adds a, a step to your design history timeline at the bottom and you can like scroll through and travel through time back to earlier parts of the model and edit stuff, right? Right. But direct modeling it removes that design history. So now it's like you're working at um, any 3D modeling software, um, okay. but you get some new capabilities because you've gotten rid of that. Like mm -hmm. If you want to make a really complex concept of some awesome mechanical thing, turn off the design history and you can be like adding rounded corners to everything and it's not slowing down your processor. You could even open up, you can import a part from uh, an engineering site like McMaster Car, and then just start selecting and deleting fillets and rounds and things out of that. And Fusion will just interpret where the new surface is supposed to be once you've deleted those faces, just automatically. Oh, wow. oh yeah. that's cool, man. Yeah, and you can move stuff too. Like if you have, you might have like um like a ribbed part of the mechanical part that's kind of mm -hmm. bracing the walls. Sure. If you might want to change the angle on that. You just select it, use the move tool and start moving it. And it'll like, even if it has a wall thickness to it, it'll move that as well. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. They were showing nice. some, yeah, they were showing some examples where they had imported a company's part that was made in some other CAD modeling software and really quickly clean it up, move some stuff around that would have taken them so long to remodel the whole thing. Oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. like to check that out. Yeah, Fusion, man, that's one of those pieces of software I would I'd really love to learn it more. It might be a long-term project for me because I'm already like juggling so many software things, but I think it's worthwhile. That uh, the parametric modeling kind of approach, just setting all your parameters down and then you can go back in and, and change them by like entering in a number into this radius of this thing. And yeah. Oh yeah, completely. And if you guys, in some of your videos at work, some of your animations, you'll have a hard surface tool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, really quick to jump in and make it in Fusion rather than in uh, animation software. It might take longer, right? 
yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to explore. But like, uh, I, I've been really interested in those types of courses that, that talk about the studio production pipeline approach to things, because I would like to learn stuff in terms of how am I going to share this whole structure with other people who, like, if I'm not going to really be doing a video or an animation from start to finish, but rather I'm doing like a portion where I'm picking up assets from one person and then passing them on to somebody else. In terms of a pipeline, what are the best practices, you know, yeah. to do things so that it's smooth for other people, right? I've actually been spending probably most of my time lately in uh, trying to get back into ZBrush, which, okay. yeah, which I know you're experienced with as well. Now, remind me, you did your MRP with ZBrush, right? Yeah. Um, all of the dinosaur skulls were in ZBrush. Nice. Yeah. Nice. There were a bunch of us in the, in the class who were learning ZBrush at that time because we all needed it for some aspect of our MRP. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was Kristen Brown who had that made into like a special topics course that term. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And then Nick would always show up with some crazy thing that he sculpted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like amazing stuff. Yeah. But uh, ZBrush, I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like the most out of all the CG software I've used, that one's the most extension of the arm. Mm -hmm. just feels, yes. Once you get past that crazy learning curve at the start, it's just natural. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you bring that up too, because that's something I would love to hear your take on about UI design. Because I know you do a lot of um, like experience design type sort of stuff. Well, you did at Bridgeable, right? Were you sort of like involved with that a bit? Yeah, I was involved in that a bit. Yeah. 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 So, cause like one of the things I notice about software applications that can make them either easy or frustrating is the amount of barrier between you as the artist and your ideas and that final, like you're getting to the point where you're starting to form or sculpt or mold or create this thing that you want to create. Right. Do you know, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Like, yeah, it's like I opened this because before you can start. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All the extra steps before you actually start creating. Right. So right. from, from your perspective and like experience design and, and, and just as a designer in general, like if you were to design your own software, what are some of the considerations <laughs> you would try to like put in there? And oh man, what do you think? Like in, uh, I think Fusion's pretty good from, uh, from the standpoint of just jumping in. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it's not just a void. You actually, you have the grid there, you have the three planes and then they've kind of laid out the inter face so that you know you should probably start on the top left with sketch mm -hmm. or with creating a solid a basic solid right so i think they've done a really good job there with making it intuitive to start out and then that software just has so many other workspaces where like a beginner would never know about those things but you can you can go mm -hmm. quite a bit farther as you get advanced into the software um, you can also set up hotkeys custom in that one too mm -hmm. pretty helpful you can press s and it brings up a search bar so you could just type in the name of the tool if you forget oh that's nice yeah yeah so i don't know if a lot of people know about that though right off the start because i think like maybe they could just put that bar up in the top corner and then also have it activated by s but uh yeah, ZBrush is pretty good. There are a couple things, I think, when you open it up that aren't intuitive, like you have to make the sub-tool editable at the start. Mm, oh, okay, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. In ZBrush, you have to like drag it out, and then you have to hit T to activate it, that whole yeah. thing. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, one of those weird learning curve things with ZBrush. But yeah. and then another, there, I forget how to make this happen, but there was a thing I would keep doing when I was learning it, where I would switch subtool, and then you start drawing, and you just drag out this weird like 10 point star. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I still do that occasionally. I'll just be like, ah, damn it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. ZBrush, I think it's how early the learning curve is, right? Like ZBrush, mm -hmm. the steep learning curve is right at the start. And then mm -hmm. Fusion, the steep learning curve is a little bit, it's a little bit smoothed out. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Another cool thing Fusion does is that they know you're probably coming from a different 3D software. Mm -hmm. And so they have all these, like you can switch the navigation hotkeys. Mm -hmm. You can switch it to like Maya mode or, or other 3D software mode. So Oh, that's oh, the, the way you do like pan, zoom, all the, those kind of functions? Yeah. Yeah. You can just select what other software you want to use the hotkeys from. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. That I might have to check out because that does trip me up. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. yeah, I'll actually in one day will jump between 3D Flow Zephyr, Cinema 4D, ZBrush, and Fusion 360 all in one day, and I'll just be like, ah, where am I at again? <laughs> or right. and then and then Photoshop too. So I got to remember how to like zoom and pan and all that with that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do uh, anything in Photoshop ever? Like, do you do touch up stuff or, or or ever do any like digital painting in there? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've moved over to the Affinity software, I guess. Oh, really? Yeah. Moved over to Affinity. And since I'm the kind of the team designer at work too, we're, I'm using Affinity for work stuff as well. Yeah. Affinity designer is a pretty good one because it's like an illustrator, but then has a few of the functions that Photoshop has. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So now, yeah. Explain to me the difference between, is it designer and painter? Are those the two, what are, what are the, what are the main, like you got designer and then photo. Okay. And, photo. And uh, what's the last one? Publisher. Okay. All right. So, so what are all the, what are all the functions and, di and differences between those? So designer is your Adobe illustrator mm -hmm. and then photo is your Photoshop okay. and then publisher is like InDesign. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I never got too much into InDesign, but I'm a little bit familiar with sort of what it does. I mean, it kind of makes comping a bunch of stuff together a little bit easier, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we use it a lot at Bridgeable. Yeah. If you're working on, if you're working on documents, we, any kind of like patient education document we were working mm. on there. Um, that's what we used. And we would also make a lot of booklets to explain to marketing and branding and and other design companies how to use the scientific content that we had developed because we would do the we would do the workshops with patients and then so we would have all this research primary research from working with them that we've built out some uh like scientific content modules from mm -hmm. then another agency will take that and make brochures and websites and so forth so we would have to make these long books on how to use the content and, and why everything was done a certain way because patients asked us to do it that way essentially mm -hmm. um, yeah so when you're working on like a long booklet that has both illustrated pieces and long explanations way better for that it's really good for um typography and and mm. uh yeah it's it's it works pretty well and then it's like automatically linked to your illustrator 
illustrations as well. Yeah, nice. I really want Affinity to make um, I want them to make a video editing software though. Too. Oh yeah, like yeah. After Effects or something. <laughs> Maybe later. Now, have you used Resolve at all? DaVinci Resolve? Oh right, you were telling me about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just briefly. Yeah, I'll just get that. You're right. Yeah, I should get that. Well, I don't know how it compares to After Effects, but it does uh, hold up pretty well against Premiere, like what Premiere Pro can do and, and iMovie and stuff. It's pretty legit. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I've, I've done, I think I've done like one, so I haven't really dug into it much at all. But Joy has been just crushing it with it, man. And okay. for sure, like the, the strongest part of that software is the color grading capabilities of it. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, they have a pretty extensive uh, like set of tools for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like the, it's, what's really interesting is I have seen some videos of like people teaching how to like use the color grading and stuff. And what they do is they use a tablet to actually like go in and use their color pickers and stuff. So they're using a, a tablet while they're doing video editing. It's really interesting and sort of appealing to me. I'm like, I like that idea of yeah. like, you're almost like drawing as you're like video editing at the same time. Like, I don't know, that just, that really appeals to me. Oh, definitely. As an artist, yeah. That's, yeah, because um, like video editing is one of those main parts of the process where you, you just have to be keyboard and mouse, and, or that's just the way it felt, right? Where you're yeah. just yeah. Working, working on the machine, right? But mm -hmm. yeah, if you can feel like an artist while you're doing that, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. So have you been like inspired by anything you've been seeing online? Like, like where do you go for inspiration? So, uh, actually, recently I've been using uh, Pinterest for inspiration. Actually. Okay, it's a little right. bit yeah, it's a little bit less addictive than uh, than Instagram. I find mm -hmm. I got into it because um, when I was working on my portfolio to get into BMC, uh, my friend Dana was trying to get into, and she did get into uh, the Pratt Institute for Industrial Design. Okay, and. Pinterest is really good for industrial design uh, mm. reference. Yeah, okay. some people have built up just insane folders full of any type, any like segment of industrial design has uh, has really good reference on there. Nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, there's there's this one site I'm trying to remember it um, that was like a specifically sort of like a a visual re like reference source for architectural and industrial design stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I think so. I'm trying to remember what it was. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Cause I know I took a note down. I've written it down before. There were some good reference sites that Tim Zarkey shares in the industrial yes. design foundations course. That's, yeah. that's where I found out about it from. Okay. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know who, who else? Uh, another guy who was on the collective podcast recently, Vitaly Bul Bulgarov. Mm, yeah, Vitaly. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen his? Oh, Le Manouche. Uh, okay, yeah, that was the site. Yeah, yeah. Le Manouche. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. But yeah, I. Oh man, I loved that podcast. That guy's amazing, man. So you listen to that whole episode, yeah? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like his uh, his philosophy behind his work and how he takes he takes vacations to do way more insane concept art for the <laughs> whole time. Yeah, like each day he'll make. I think in the one series he made that concept of this like uh, ambulance helicopter of the future. Mm. And he was saying how he's, he plans out all the features he wants the designs to have. And then 
he has to go hard all day on the design because he knows if he wastes time and misses one 20 minute chunk, then the finished design isn't going to have that feature. Right. Mm. He's posted on Instagram, some uh, videos of him working in MOI mm -hmm. on the designs. Yeah. And it's so, it's just so fast with the hard surface modeling. Yeah. Oh dude. He had this also, uh, this Alita battle angel, um oh, yeah, design works. with like the ceramic robot arm right yeah, yeah oh I've dude seen that one yeah that was so sick yeah did you see that movie i haven't yet it looked sort of weird with like the anime big eye thing on like live right. action people but <laughs> yeah but uh no i'm i'm uh i'm interested in checking it out i just haven't haven't gotten around to it yet but you it's saw you, you've seen it yeah i saw that one uh we went in 4D, the 4D theater. So it's like your, your seats shake around. And like if she kicks a guy in the face, it sprays you with mist in your face. Uh, so, um, but yeah, it's a really cool, I think it's a really cool movie from our perspective as like computer graphics artists. It does have a little bit of that trend that I think is going on with especially sci-fi movies with a female lead, which is it's mm -hmm. just like, it's always Jason Bourne just <laughs> into a different, into a different storyline. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they, they also, they combined different, like different seasons of that manga or, an, or anime. I'm not sure what the original was, but mm -hmm. that they combined different chapters of it into the one movie. Okay. Yeah, so I guess if people were fans of the original, that they might think it turned into a weird combination of a bunch of stuff, but I still think it was an awesome movie. Yeah, you immediately got me thinking, though, of um, Ghost in the Shell and how, yeah. like, that whole franchise just, like, expanded so rapidly or just in so many different directions. I mean, they got, like, multiple movies and, like, different shows and stuff. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, and then the new Blade Runner really got into that one as well. Yes, oh man, I was so happy with that movie because whenever they revitalize an old IP and, and make like a new film, a lot of times, man, you're just kind of like, ooh, is this going to be a disaster? But right, oh right. God, I, I thought they did a fantastic job with that movie. Yeah, yeah. And the cinematography. Oh. Sure referencing that after the Roger Deakins style cinematography. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm uh, appreciating this stuff more and more now that uh, I've been taking that course, the cinematic design course. I've actually, I have done, one, where was the other place I was learning about like cinematic, uh, or it might've been a book. Oh, of course. Um, framed Ink. That Framed Ink book. Oh, yeah. I, I think I've told you about yeah. that before, yeah? Yeah, I have the book too, yeah. Love that book, man. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, that book, it seriously like opened up a part of my brain into like looking at the world in a new way. I mean, you don't get that all the time, right? That was, it opened my eyes to like framing composition in, in ways that I'd never really, I mean, I'd, I'd heard a lot of those things before, but I never felt them so like ingrained in my mind now. It's like, oh, I get right. this alignment and finding those edges that lead the viewer's eye into the focal point, all this stuff. When I yeah. read that book, like that, I, I loved it, man. So, yeah, completely. I completely agree. Like, um, I don't know if you noticed this after, after reading that but yeah around that time where i was reading that book and looking at analyses of roger deakins cinematography which is very mm -hmm. similar like everything's a leading line mm -hmm. um i noticed when i was walking to work after that that 
the points in the walk where I would look up at a certain thing mm -hmm. is where all the leading lines from the sidewalk. Oh, and, snap. Yeah, those are all converging on that point. Yeah. So I don't oh. know if you had a similar experience or something. Oh, damn. You had a, a Neo C in the code moment, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's exactly. Awesome. Yeah. I have had moments like that where, cause I think I've told you about that guy um, who does all the fractal artwork, Julius oh, Horsthaus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The more I started looking at his stuff, uh, I would start seeing fractals like everywhere. And I would, <laughs> yeah. And like uh, when I would look at trees and plants, I would just, yeah, I would see all these like arrangements of like hexagonal like patterns that were like layered on top of each other. And I would look at that and right. be like, I could make a procedural shader to do that, man. That's, <laughs> that's a straight up procedural shader right there. Right. And yeah. so was it that nature was already providing those shapes or whoever made the garden had, had designed it in a certain way? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Because when you, when you finally end up going to Japan sometime, mm, go yes. to some, there are some really amazing uh, gardens at the temples and stuff. Mm -hmm. Everything is designed down to the last detail. And oh, I believe it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing stuff like that. That's awesome, man. Well, how long were you out there for when you went? We were there, it was almost two weeks, I think. Okay, nice, nice. Just under two weeks, yeah. We did, we did Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto, just like a, a brief stop just south of Tokyo as well. Nice. Yeah, we, we did go to a historical site in Kyoto at Kiyomizu Dera. Mm -hmm. The temple and then the um, the walking path up to it is kind of preserved as a more more traditional route with the the storefronts and everything on the on the route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was so awesome. It's a really steep path too, so you're like constantly working your way up to the oh, temples. Whoa. So yeah, Kyoto was was the coolest. Yeah. And then the uh, the place with Kendo as well at the uh, mm. it's like the Budo Center outside of uh, the Heian Shrine. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I think the um, the workshop that we did it was like a little bit of uh, you know like a special opportunity for tourists because I don't think when you start out in Kendo you get to wear all the equipment mm -hmm. or or spar on your first day either. So okay. <laughs> Oh, you did that. Yeah, so, yeah, they they geared that, you up? Yeah. They, they geared they you geared up? us up. Yeah, helmets, everything. Yeah, and we did one-on-one -on -one sparring. <laughs> <laughs> is there like one person in the group who was like secretly like a black belt in kendo and they're just like whooping everyone's ass? Well, there were a couple people from, oh man, where, where were they from? From like Norway or something that they had been studying kendo for the last year or two and then mm -hmm. decided they had to go and, and do it at mm -hmm. kyoto so they were really into it yeah but the um instructor he gets some major respect because we're definitely when he has to be the target for us for some strikes like mm -hmm. striking the wrist too and we're definitely putting way more power into the hit than we're <laughs> supposed to because we're so nervous so, like, yeah yeah just really suck but he was really patient and really like just reminding us okay remember it's just a quick yeah, strike, yeah. <laughs> a powerful strike yeah. yeah but yeah he was really awesome Nice. That, oh man. Yeah. That sounds like fun. It's fun. Yeah. I've actually had that exact experience of even being like 
somewhat experienced in judo occasionally I'll, I'll go like spar with one of my like instructors or like a visiting black belt or whatever. And I'll just be like a giddy little, like I'll be, I'll be like so nervous. I'll be like, Oh my God. It was, and I'll make like these stupid mistakes or like I'll accidentally like scratch them or something. I'll be like, Oh my God, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's so weird. But like, uh, just what happens. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, instructor, so- this instructor who was teaching the course to you, had a really interesting perspective on the philosophy of kendo as well and on the history of samurai because he mm. had descended from i think his great-grandfather was the last samurai oh whoa yeah and so that kind of mentality had been pa- passed down the like samurai and warrior mentality had been passed down to his grandfather and then to his father and then he had our instructor had a lot of uh conflict with his father because of that way of life of like revenge and stuff like that that was sort of like hanging on from that samurai mentality and then the instructor went to school in the u.s and became a christian pastor and so that was all about forgiveness right so then he was teaching us sort of like sort of the dichotomy of that of those two philosophies and then he went back and he can't and like he's still teaching kendo but now he has those two two perspectives oh that's interesting yeah that's really cool man wow wow interesting guy yeah yeah definitely so he's a good instructor too because he has given a lot of sermons so (laughs) (laughs) wow wow yeah I, i love uh hearing about people who take their approach to their craft to that level where they're like refining their entire mentality around it right they're they're really self-reflecting and stuff yeah oh yeah definitely yeah i don't know how do you think about have you done any like freelance independent of your your regular day job uh usually what i'm doing outside of work is trying to learn new things Mm. Um, (laughs) yeah so like a lot of i think most of my time if i'm working on like medical device work or BMC type of work, it's usually to try to further the craft in the time outside of work. I would say, man, I would say the same myself, actually. Yeah. 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 You need to go really hard during the work day. So, yeah. yeah. So, but then, yeah, there's also, you need some time to push the craft farther and do some of that studying and research and so forth. I, that's the sort of the way I think about it. And then you also need time for exercise and yes and sleep and like yeah <laughs> life yeah yeah as so, yeah, <laughs> works and yeah so yeah i'm not sure but uh, like i know a lot of people that kept up the freelance even during the program mm-hmm. and that's pretty impressive sort of my perspective on it is i, I spend most of the time doing doing courses and learning and, and stuff but right on right on yeah well, let me ask you this, because this is something I want to like include, maybe uh, some advice or insights you may have for people trying to enter the field or students in the program now who might be graduating soon. What are some maybe advice you, you have for like the up and coming folks? One thing I was thinking about the other day is that the summer jobs we got after first year mm-hmm. ended up being especially relevant. Mm. <laughs> so even if it was like, we didn't really have too many choices to, to pick from. Mm-hmm. Those ended up being insanely great connections to work after graduation. Like mm. right now I'm doing medical device stuff and people in the 
all of the best residency that I'm part of now are other people who worked in the lab I worked at at SickKids before. So like still that community, everybody's around, like other people who worked on uh, like a more After Effects based project at that point are doing After Effects based stuff now. So, but I think the thing that's in a student's favor is that people are people are willing to bring you in and have you do um have you do a project like that that like you you have to learn some new things on like people are willing to take a chance on a student to do mm-hmm. some cool development project during the summer mm-hmm. that i don't think that opportunity comes up as much for people who aren't students so it's like you can you can really take advantage of that opportunity while you're a student. So people don't have to pay as much for you. Right. So you can get a really cool project. Yeah. Yeah. To, to push the skills. Yeah. Um, which is which also, is a double edged double edged sword too. Yeah. Because it's unfortunate that people are always trying to like lowball. Yeah. Know, <laughs> by by going for students. Right. Yeah. But then even. Um, like sometimes they can get a co-op student and still pay the student, but the company is getting subsidized because they're mm. taking on a, a co-op student. So that, so that's a good chance to find paid work as well. Like, um, mm-hmm. like now that I'm on the other side, I'm seeing that co-op students, like the company, a small company could get funding to take on a co-op student. So Ah. more likely to try to get one of them on the team. Then once you're in there, try to learn from everybody on the team. Right. For Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's a really good point. Yeah. Like another cool thing about being a student, like when I was at that lab at sick kids is that, everyone wants to help you get a cool job once you graduate because they're not worried about you leaving, right? Mm. Like it, mm-hmm. It's different from when you work for a company. It's about loyalty to the company, right? right. But when you're a student, there's no, there's no job expected to come out of it. So everybody, like you can just talk about what actually your career dreams are and people are willing to help you help to connect you to somebody in that field or to help tell you where to get those skills. Um, so that's your chance to really talk to everybody because you don't have to, don't have to hold back about talking about what you want to get into next, even if it's not relevant to what they do in the lab there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Excellent point, man. Really good point. Yeah. So, so one of the uh, one of the most frequent questions I get or I see are people sort of wondering about like, can they even really, you know, can they get into the field without going to grad school? What are your thoughts on that? I think they probably could. I don't know if like there are some in, insane artists like Alexei Kaspersky in our field that I don't know if he did one of the one of the medical illustration programs. No, I, I, yeah, I don't think he did. I think, yeah, yeah, I think he jumped right in. Then on the other hand though, BMC was the best. So I wouldn't want to, like, I wouldn't want to miss that. Right. Like yeah. the coolest two years of every day you go in and you're surrounded by like your closest friends who are just cranking out the most awesome work and you get to see it and like give critique and they'll give you critique on your work and just everybody advances so quickly i think like i wouldn't want to miss that but i think people can still get into our field without doing that yeah uh, yeah yeah i don't know like i hope that i hope that i don't have a bias against people 
coming into the field if they if they aren't from one of the programs, right? Like, but it's easier for us to get to know people who are in the programs. But, but there, there's still people, there would still be people in AMI who haven't come from one of the grad programs though, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Did you, did you like try to do work in, in our field or know anybody who was before you went to grad school? Uh, so I, I didn't try to do it as like a professional, but, I had already been interested in getting into the field and had expressed this to some of my profs in undergrad. And one of them, who was one of the awesomest ladies ever, man, she was my anatomy teacher in undergrad. She commissioned me to do this cadaver dissection manual. And so I did like 30 illustrations over the course of the summer. But looking back, they were like the simplest little like line drawings. I mean, like they, I don't think they even had like any shading on them or hatching or anything they were just like little outline drawings but i tried you know to make them look as good as i could at the time but it was still you know a decent experience and yeah that's basically the extent of it (laughs) yeah but uh i think you really nailed it with your description of like the experience at school and and how it's i think a lot of people would all agree that it's for sure a stressful experience but it's like a good stress yeah and for sure like accelerated growth you know, right. like when I look at my skill level before and after the program, it was like, I've never before since had a two year period of my life where I've seen my work improve so dramatically. Right, right. And there was almost a feeling of invincibility too, after a while where we were able to create new stuff so quickly. And I think that, that might be one of the hardest things after coming out of the program mm-hmm. is that you're used to be able to create being able to create magic essentially within a two week period of time. <laughs> yeah. And have access to the craziest tools and feedback from the most awesome artists at all times and stuff. Your projects just manifest so quickly. And then as soon as you're out of the program, it's now like full time work. And then, but you have still have that itch. Like I need to be creating my own art outside of work too, but it doesn't move as quickly as it did during the program. Right. And so then there's that like period of acceptance of this is like a little bit different from, from that more uh, from that magical world of during the MC. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. Totally. So are you uh, pretty happy with like what you're doing these days? And I mean, I I don't want you to throw any shade to your employer, of course, or anything, but like, Uh. um, but no, I mean, just in terms of like where you're uh, thinking about your your career as a whole, like, or maybe stuff you might be doing on the, on the side, do you think you're going to try and stick in this particular area of kind of like surgical device or medical device kind of market? Or do you think you want to expand to other areas? Like, do you want to do more illustration stuff? Like, what, do you, what are some of your thoughts about like your future as an artist and designer? Yeah, I think right now couldn't be better. It's, yeah. it's exactly, yeah, it's like exactly what I was looking to do right now. Like the combination of the 3D modeling, CAD design uh, with a medical application. And then since it's a small team, I'm also doing like the design and some like some visual design stuff as well for the team. So that's perfect. And then also learning about, so eventually... I guess the long-term goal before I started this job was to get to a point where I could make new medical devices that kind of like fill a gap 
in needs that I can see and like team up with people to create some sort of device. Either it's like an assistive device for the body or it could even be some physical communication tool like uh, models you might see in in museums or whatever. But I needed to get the, the medical device knowledge. So I needed to join a team where we're going through the process of getting a medical device approved. Mm-hmm. So this is perfect opportunity for that small team. We're all having to learn a lot about getting things approved like that. It's using new, new manufacturing technology. There's a lot of, a lot of 3d printing involved. We oh, could, nice. we're all, so that, yeah. Oh, sorry. You, you mentioned to me once before about the, uh, the lab over at Mars, I think, right? So is that something you popping in there on the regular basis, busting out like prototypes or concepts and stuff? Yeah, um, that's part of Autodesk's residency. So everybody has access to 3D printers and also to a workshop. So yeah, there are a lot of different types of prototypes being built in there. So like I would print molds to cast the silicone medical device out of. There are also people there using uh, like a CNC machine or a laser cutter, or they can even print their own PCB boards for electronics. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And then also, since it's Autodesk, you get access to their software as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's like perfect place for teams to start up out of. Yeah. And then like, even with this stuff, like we're using ultrasound scanning to do the imaging, to get the measurements of the medical device that I'm making. And then my parametric model, the way it scales is kind of like character rigging Mm -hmm. where you've, like I've set up different dimensions that have to scale and that's driven off the measurements that we're getting from ultrasound. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, so what I'm trying to do in the long term is kind of bridge what we're doing in BMC with uh, like a medical device engineering aspect, the same way that BMC is already bridging like what the computer graphics industry is doing for entertainment. And then we bridge that into medical applications, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's so, awesome, man. Like, yeah. Like if we wanted to, like if anybody in, in BMC wanted to make um, some sort of device that's on the body, we already have the, the skills to do 3D scanning or photogrammetry and then make the model, build, build that, 3D print it. And then 3D printing is just rendering, but in real life. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. Yeah. You set it to work overnight as well. You go work on other stuff, right? Yeah, man. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, looking to eventually get a 3D printer of myself. Do you have one at home? Do you have like your own 3D printer? I, I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've been yeah. looking into it. But uh, of course, right now with like the COVID situation, they're like sold out all over the place right. because people are buying them to like build masks and like try and help out and stuff. Yeah, like with the personal protective equipment too, we're getting a lot of updates on that through the, the Autodesk community. Mm-hmm. And so like in town, right at the at Toronto General, Josh Kwahiansen, he's one of the residents at Autodesk as well. Mm-hmm. his team is just cranking out personal protective equipment and since he already has been making medical models for the hospital for surgery or training or anything like the, he already knows the process of you have to keep track of every spool of plastic and you have to have them packaged a certain way and so forth so they're all making all 
all those in the legitimate way that can be used by hospitals. But then, yeah, like the other hobbyists are definitely important because there are places that are just in dire need of any type of equipment, right? But, mm-hmm. but yeah, for doing it the correct way, the way Josh is doing is the way that Health Canada requires personal protective equipment to be made if it's going to be used in the hospital, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, shoot, man, we're, we're hitting, uh, maybe let's call it a day. Is that, is that cool? Yeah, that's cool with me. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been good talking and yeah, good man. to see you. Like it's been a while since uh, since the last time I saw you in real life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, th- man, thanks so much for being willing to do this. Yeah, anytime. I'm glad to. And a big thank you to you as well for listening. I am so grateful for all the positive feedback I've received thus far, and I look forward to putting out more episodes. I've already recorded a few more interviews, and I've got a few more booked as well. I've been enjoying this a lot, and I've been learning so much. I can't wait to share more stories from the world of medical illustration with you in the next installment. So stay tuned, stay safe, and always stay up.